I don't think so. There we go. There we go. There we go. Whatever you guys did, you're geniuses. Thank you very much. Let's pray and let's go. There's so much to do. Advent to Lord God, Heavenly Father. Through your Son, you've revealed to us that heaven and earth will pass away. So we beg you now that you keep us firm in word and faith. Guard us from sin. Preserve us from temptation. So that our hearts are not overcharged by the cares of this life but that we spend our time in watchfulness and prayer, that we may await the return of your Son and joyfully cherish the expectation of eternal salvation. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. There you go, it's all right there. Hey, I'm rooting for the Mayan calendar. (laughs) Hey, if if the Mayans are right, God bless them, we'll take it. A couple of things. How's the seating? Is the seating okay? Do you still like it after last week? Are you still okay with this? Is it better or worse? You're okay? Let me know if you think it's horrible. We've added about 20 seats and tried to take a little of the chaos out of the room. So, um, but, you know, everything can be changed around. Thanks for, thanks for uh, doing that. Let's see. So now some of you will have baskets on the end of your rows. Uh, actually, pause. Will you please, especially during the holiday season when we have a lot of visitors, will you please be sure when you're in church to pass the book back down and forth? Would you do that? May please make sure. And even if there are people in front of you, if you see visitors, you know, you can hand them the book. Just make sure the people are signing in. Um, you know, we stalk them if they show up, but we can only stalk them if, you, if we have data. So now back to the other thing. Uh, drop some money in the basket, and it will go to... St. Matthew's Soup Kitchen, that's Pastor Loza, that's Tony and Donna's um, father and father-in-law, so it's always good to help them. Uh, You can't hurt people by giving them food, so life's good. Thanks for that. Uh, What else? Anything? Oh, here you go. Serious question. Um, Now, be honest, because you're not going to hurt my feelings. How many of you would like to see, if I did slides from Israel next week, do you have an interest in that? Would you want to do that? See, because I feel this is a little like having you over to my house for cocktails and watching, you know, hours of video of my kids going down the slide when they're two. So I'm a little nervous about that. You know, come see my home. home. Uh, all right, I tell you what, um, I'll, we'll do Israel next week. We'll just show you some slides. And uh, then we'll take a couple of weeks off because it's the busy Christmas season. We know you're traveling a lot. So uh, think about that, which means we need to get this part then wrapped up this week. And I'm sure you're confident that I can do that. So... Uh, <laughs> First, did you pick? The, I, I gave you a copy of two margin comments that don't actually work in order, but uh, if you saw them, uh, they, they fit, okay? So, what we're trying to do is real life stuff. So, look at the long one first, okay? This is from today's bulletin, but look at the long one first. This is a place um, where I've been before to. It's actually, uh, it's, a, it's a monastery, and you basically, you know, you have a room and it's dead quiet. I always get extra credit because it's in California and I'm still on. I go there when I tend to, when I go see, uh, you know, kids or go back for some reason. But I always get extra credit because they get up to say prayers. The prayers start at 5 a.m. But, of course, for me, coming from Chicago, that's 7 a.m., so I'm already up for an hour. So they think I'm more spiritual than I am, uh, which is, always, you know, but since you don't talk about it, what's the harm? Because uh, the only place you talk is when you check in at the bookstore. Other than that, you know, it's silence, which is, which is sort of nice. But then I get, so they send me a newsletter and blah, blah. Anyway, there was this, this woman, uh, and you can get a sense of what she's like, you know, brokenness into healing. But I just want to encourage you why, do you, why do you do the sort of things we're talking about this year, which is 
you know, what, what I want to talk about, of course, with you is coming into orbit around Christ, but then what that means first is to carve a little time away for Christ and not the community time of the service, but also just some, just some time with you and Christ together. You know, later in the year, we're going to talk about silence. Then we'll talk about, I want to talk about fasting actually before Lent, and I'm going to encourage, uh, you know, Jesus does say, you know, prayer and fasting. Some things only work with prayer and fasting. I don't know why they only work with prayer and fasting. You know, 20 years ago, I probably would have tried to answer that for you. I actually don't know the answer. All I know is that Jesus says some things only work by prayer and fasting. So probably in Lent, it would be an interesting experiment if we took some time for prayer and fasting. But you have to kind of think about what that means. So, you know, I want to just talk about very practical things. All this time we've talked about just setting time aside. We haven't talked about prayer much, but it is, in fact, true that from your scripture reading comes your prayer. In fact, you almost can't separate those. And I will encourage you, again, if you're struggling with this at all, especially you who commute um, or have some quiet time, you know, Pray As You Go is the best thing that anybody's given me in the last two years. That site, Pray As You Go, 10 or 11 minutes, it's right there, everything is self-contained. All you need to do is be quiet and listen. It's a, it's a glorious, glorious thing. So, uh, but anyway, I mean, here you go. How did I someone unaware of God and certainly unconcerned with Jesus, end up at the Hermitage for spiritual guidance. What am I doing? Karen, sorry. <laughs> what did I do to you? You could thank them. That was, it was actually all very, very fine. Um... Yeah, I mean, it was, it was well played and well sung. And what was interesting is that was kind of their down week. So I can't wait to hear sort of what, what will come next. Also, I think they've booked in. Is it firm now that the Wheaton College Choir is coming? So Transfiguration. So our hinge into Lent, the, they have 52 voices will be here. So it would be a nice time to bring your friends. Transfiguration Sunday, February 10th, the Sunday before Ash Wednesday. That'll be an interesting. Uh, that'll be interesting. Because i got no idea what they're going to do. But you guys take care of that, okay? Make it all work. It'll be good. It will be good. I don't... Yeah. I mean, there's always a chance of that. But, uh, yeah, there's a chance of that. But I'm not betting on it. So, all right, thanks, Karen. It was very, very good. Anything else? Sorry, I didn't mean to push you too fast. So this is just kind of encouragement toward, you know, kind of thinking about your life. How did someone unaware of God and certainly unconcerned with Jesus end up at the hermitage for spiritual guidance? While God was unknown to me, I was very well known to him. I would pass the fruitcake in the local mar- market with the hermitage logo on it, and I began to have this inner debate where each side became more insistent over time. Pause. As you know, you know, Monks brew beer, they make fruitcake, they keep themselves going, they do different things. That's great. Um, This is not unlike you. And kind of the next thing, you know, as you kind of start to think a year out and two years out, I mean, really the next thing, although this will happen somewhat naturally, I want to just sort of encourage you. Your world is filled with people like this. Your world is filled with people who are disquieted. Your world is filled with people who are restless and what's happening, you know, over time, you know, over five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you grow up in the faith. And we have a remarkable, especially a remarkable number of younger people who have kind of caught that spirit. The next thing for you to do is, for, is to bring people who are disquieted, you know, here. 
So we'll have things like, you know, the first service, 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve. We don't have the Eucharist, so we don't have the issue of who we commune and who we don't commune, and you having to concern yourself with that. It's just a place where music and scripture kind of wash over people. In the same way, Transfiguration Sunday, that should be kind of a remarkable thing. This morning was, and it's always, you always surprise me. I'm always surprised. One is the music plays, and Karen, you're, you're quite right. Although I know these guys, so I have very high expectations for them. I also, one of my great things, one of the greatest things about my job presently is that I um, get to stand next to Peter a lot, <laughs> which is great. Because it's like just like right there, and I'm like, that is really good. How does he do that? <laughs> you know, but you know, the thing is, is there's a whole bunch of places that are meant for people to become. I mean, let me just say to you, you're a fruitcake. This is what I mean to say to you. You're the human fruitcake. That's what you are. So there's always things that attract people. You're the attraction to Saint John. And if people you know are restless, <clears throat> you should just say, you should just come to church with me. Why is that? Because Jesus is there. That's really. You don't, have to, you don't have to argue people into it. It's just that Jesus is there and he'll touch you and you'll get better. Okay? So. Sorry? That's right. And we do have three guys who brew beer. It'll be the second annual Oktoberfest before you know it. There's more than three. Some of the guys didn't, had short notice. There must, there's probably ten. It's like a cult here. So. They are. They are. You're exactly right. I'm not going to get through this, okay? Go, no, go, why, go, I'm afraid, go, okay. That's exactly how people with a restless soul feel. They need you to sit beside them. They need you to bring them to something beautiful. They need to be non, they, it needs to be non-threatening, and they need to be loved. And how this woman is loved is quite remarkable. Something more powerful than I, a surprise in itself, was not giving up. God took me by the hand and led me there. That often happens through you. What type of help did I need? Mm. I want to learn to pray. Later, that, and that's that is very common. You'll find people who will say, who almost will pray naturally, uh, you know. And the, but people want they want to pray. They don't quite know what to do. They kind of have the sense that if they could be blessed and they could pray, their life would get better. They want their life to be better. They don't like the chaos. Um, you know, people like this. You should just bring them because we say prayers here. Later that day, I was about to go into my room and hearing my name called, turned. <coughs> And my heart nearly stopped. A frightening person in a long white robe was heading my direction. I can meet you at 3.30, he said, and that was the beginning. He's still my spiritual director today. Our discussions can be deadly serious and life-giving, all the way to humorous. One time I wrote, I am fragile and broken. We are working with God to put me together. Sometimes the pieces do not fit and we try again. I keep trying because my life depends upon it. And maybe he stays with me because a part of his does too. He honors my sadness, heard about the many wounds that bruise me endlessly, that rip my heart open, and he gives me to God. Many of our conversations can be summarized by, Father Isaiah, I have a problem. Have you prayed about it? No. Father Isaiah, I don't know what to do about it. Have you thought about prayer? No, I forgot. Father Isaiah, I'm having trouble with... Lynn, if I may make a suggestion. Now and again, he uses my name and the word defiant in the same sentence. (laughs) I've forgiven him. For the first time, for the first year and a half, I attended all the services, sat in the back row, cried continually, refused to take a book or participate. Now, here's the thing. 
you can bring people here and they can sit in the back row and cry for a year and a half and that's got to be okay with us. It's just the way it is for some people. It just takes a while. But they need a safe place to sit and cry. That's good. That's all right. The monks left me alone, giving me the freedom and chance to begin to repair a very confused, destroyed heart. When I was not there, the longing could be overwhelming. And when I would arrive, the crying would begin. I would tense up, think about fleeing, still scared and anxious. Then one day I called to reserve a room, and Father Zacchaeus said, Don't threaten us, Lynn. And for the first time in so long, I laughed and began to relax, which is what happens with people. Eventually, they, if you love them long enough, eventually it'll, it'll sort of break through. Okay? My love for the hermitage is, I hope, expressed in the following. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said, Come, and you will see. That's all you're trying to do for people. That's all the church is trying to do. People have broken hearts, and the church is here to, to heal them, to fix them. Um, you can't do it, and I can't do it, but the Eucharist can do it, and prayers can do it, and your love, for Christ's love through you for others can do it. I mean, this is what the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be where people can come and have their hearts fixed. Now, um, in order for you to bear other people's burdens... It's very difficult for you to do that if you yourself are broken. Now, here's the thing. You can't be perfect. You can't wait for until your, you're perfect to help anybody. But, I mean, there have been a couple of things that have been quite remarkable in this past week. One was your great outpouring for the Strutzels and how that whole thing has kind of played out. You know, the, the baby was hurt. The baby had surgery. It was difficult surgery. A lot of things could go on wrong. Nothing went wrong. People could have ignored them. No one ignored them. Um, they spoke very faithfully. You returned the love to them. You know, they were strengthened. You were strengthened. And that's the way the church should work. Christmas sharing is another one. I mean, that really, the, what the, the most striking thing about Christmas sharing this year was the calm. In, in past years, it's been sort of chaotic. It didn't feel, it felt like we were still getting our feet. This year, it was just like, the, especially the people from St. John, there was just, they just had this presence of Christ about them. Kind of just kind of move in, in every room. I went in every room on both days. In every room, both days, it was just like, yeah, this is just how you love people. It was the greatest thing. Um, so, the, but the thing is, for you to be able to do that, it takes some measure of maturity. It takes some measure of being outside yourself. And the only way you do, and it actually takes some energy, it takes some strength. And the only way you'll have that is if you spend a little bit of time being recharged, and I've tried to suggest to you morning and evening. Um, the other thing, just flip over on the other side. <clears throat> um, you know, so often, you know, we point out differences between ourselves and other denominations, and then, you know, I've tried to spend my time for years and years here trying to point out the same things. Luther could have written this on the other side. An additional function served by holy icons is to help transform our character, our whole being, to help sanctify us. They affect this by instructing us, reminding us, uplifting us, and stirring us up morally and spiritually. The function of the icon in this regard is based on the principle that we become like that which we habitually contemplate. Luther said exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. I've given you the quote. Luther says, if you touch this, you'll turn into it. 
If you engage this, you will become this. Like attracts like. So, if you want your life to change, if you want your life to be centered, if you want your life to be stronger, if you want your life to be energized, if you want your life to be more holy, if you want to be more merciful, if you want your prayers to be better, the very first thing you start with is meditation. Now, Luther has said repeatedly, Christ is the object of our meditation. But of course, you all know as good Lutherans that Christ comes to you through means. So through scripture, so you meditate on scripture. Through the Eucharist, so you meditate on the Eucharist. Through the memory of your baptism, so you meditate on what baptism means to you. Through holy absolution, so you remember the sins you've been forgiven. Those sins instruct you so you don't do them again. And you rejoice that you've been made free. And, um, of course, for the Orthodox, they write an icon and they read an icon and they understand the icon to be no different than the scripture. So an Orthodox person would see, in broadest sense, the icon that hangs above our altar that tells the story of Jesus dying for you. They would not see a difference, generally, broadly speaking, between that and reading the crucifixion account from the scripture. It's written, and you read it, and it instructs you, and the instruction changes you. So this is something I haven't talked about yet, but I will. Um, I'm not trying to push you all the way to that. Um, Whether or not you think an icon is a means of grace, you know, that's not where I'm going. But what I am going is, um, I've encouraged you to set some time aside, morning and evening, just five minutes, morning and evening. People often use things in that time candles, incense, icons, uh, to aid their prayers or to focus their attention. So, you know, um, incense, you know, it's common enough here now when you smell that, what you smell is Jesus, you smell church. Or, you know, it was really interesting, you know, we had an emergency baptism for the Strutzel baby and we did anoint the child. And, of course, then you have the four Strutzel boys, they all know what's going on. Yeah, it's a baptism, so you have oil. You can smell the baptism. You can smell the grace. Boom. And when they smell it again when they're sick or they smell it again when they're dying, they know that Christ is present. So you use all your senses. One of the, you know, the most basic thing about candles is it's just warmth. It's the same reason you light candles when you have dinner party because you're more beautiful in candlelight, Beth. <laughs> not that you're not beautiful all the time. <laughs> But by candlelight, you know, everything is just warmer and kinder. And, of course, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light no darkness can overcome. And so we light a candle at baptism. We give it to people. We say, push back the darkness. So there are all these other things. But these things, the the sole thing about your meditation is it focuses you on Christ. And touching Christ, you are changed. It's just as simple as that. And he changes you by giving you his gift, his forgiveness, his love, his grace, his mercy. And he gives you his gift by saying to you, follow me. And, the old, and you know, it's the old thing, Thomas, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, how could you not know where I'm going? You know, I've given you my Holy Spirit. I've spoken to you in words. I've shown you what life looks like. I've left you Holy Scripture. So, obviously, you know, what you're doing in meditation where meditation means loving. It is a human act, but it's not primarily a rational act. It's primarily an emotional act. So you're basically divided into two parts. 
Your eyes see and your hands choose. This is the basic way to think about human beings. So your mind sees. That's not sufficient. Scripture says even the demons see that Jesus is Lord, but they never grasp. They never hold. So it's not enough. It's not enough just to know scientia, science. It's not enough just to know. Faith is about fiducia. It's about grasping. It's about loving. Now, we all get hard-hearted. We all sin. The more we sin, the harder our hearts. How do you soften a heart? You remember your baptism. You go to the Eucharist. You discipline yourself to love those who don't love you. You remember what Christ has done for you. You remember that you yourself are a sinner. You remember days when you yourself were restless. You remember that other people are restless too and you empathize with that. You love them and try to help them into a place where individually and as a community you're for each other and not against each other. And this was a great week at St. John for that. It was a great week. You know, this whole week was a remarkable thing from last Sunday all the way through the week to this Sunday. It was a great week. It's about how the church should be. Now, if you want that, spend some time with it. Nurture it. Maintain it. How do you do that? You meditate on Christ, which is you make Christ the object of your love. How do you do that? Spend some time with him. You know, one of my favorite stories. You know, the guy who loved his wife so much he almost told her. <laughs> you love Jesus so much you almost made some time for him. Almost. So I'm trying to push you over the hump. And the only way to do it, like so many things, is to do it. You, if you, you, just, you just have to do it. And I just tried to get you morning and evening, you know, five minutes. If you can just, when you wake up, it doesn't have the minute you wake up, but, you know, when you have some, five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night. If you can just start with five minutes and then kind of move on, okay? So <clears throat> I'm, I've sort of pushed you to... Um, so I met the one that says B, kind of, um, I'll just kind of warm you up at point six, and then we'll go to the one that says C. If you meditate, what happens to you? Among other things, you have a clean conscience. So you can't look at a cross, at an icon, a cross. You can't read the story of the crucifixion. You can't read Romans. You can't read any of the stuff that Luther loved so much, that you love so much, to know that you're not forgiven, that God is for you, not against you. And you will learn to love Christ as you go. It's just natural. I mean, once you break through the initial, he loves me, when you start to see all the ways he loves you. It's like kids when they grow up. You know, your kids, they, they sort of have an inkling when they're 10 that they love you, and at 15 they're not sure that they love you, and 20 they love you if they can borrow the car and get some cash from you. But then they have this great awakening, you know, when they're 25 or 30 where you're wonderful. And because they have to love somebody else, they realize all the ways that you've loved them. That's just growing up. That's exactly what happens to you. The trouble is, if you don't get started when you're young, you know, you sort of don't go into this. This is why it's so important to, and this is why St. John is so promising. There's so many young people, and they come to church, and they come to Bible study, and they bring their kids. It's so promising because they will have a, a lifetime of getting better, and then they'll have the responsibility that you older people do, which is to help them out. They'll have to help out the next generation. So you have a clean conscience, you love Christ, you learn a lot. We did all this last week. And then I sort of stop with, you'll have a warm, illuminated heart. 
So I'm, I've sort of moved to um, I've moved to the next page. Um, the last thing you've see, the last number you have is six, but I'm halfway down the next page. The Spirit preaches to you, He comes to you, He talks to you, He floods your heart with energy and with love. You think you can't love people, and if you spend some time with Christ, He'll encourage you to love them. If you spend some time with the Holy Spirit, you'll find you'll do the right thing even when it's not natural to do the right thing. Meditation fills your heart with energy, with vigor, with light, with warmth, with passion, with enthusiasm. And it cures you, and this is why it's important to do it every day, it cures you on the days when you don't feel like doing it. It's just like physical exercise. I mean, you might feel like doing it a couple of days, and, you know, if you can make your um, endorphins pop all the time, you know, you get addicted to it. It's much the same way. Although there are some days when you just don't feel like doing it, and then you do it anyway because you know it'll be good for you and you'll feel better about it later. Not only will your heart be warm and full of light, you'll also have a very busy and very soft heart. And this is big for Luther and not big for Lutherans. And this is a great sadness, but now it gets corrected for you. Which is, um, sometimes Lutherans are big on talking and not on doing. And, you know, we, we have a heresy that if we do anything good, then somehow we think that saves us so we don't do anything good. That's not Luther. I mean, here's Luther. Meditation always leads to action. Look at the last line. The kingdom of God is not in talk, but in power. Everybody can talk a big ball game. Everybody can talk about being a Christian. It's when you bring food for the poor, that's when you're being a Christian. So, you see, Luther, for all the stuff on, you know, I pronounce you, you know, forgiven, uh, that doesn't mean it's just talk. It's always action. Okay? Flip the page. You'll also become more spiritually mature, and I've talked about that. You'll sort of move through the day. And this is really interesting. What will happen is, is that evil things will have less attraction. You can almost always, for pastors, when, when things go badly for pastors, almost, and I mean when they do horrible things, when pastors do horrible things, it can almost always be traced back to they've stopped praying. It can almost always be traced back to that. They've, they've stopped tending the Eucharist and they've stopped praying. It's true for you too, but I, just, I can tell you that it's true for pastors as well. When pastors go off the rails, it's almost always because they've stopped praying and their hearts get cold and um, they lose their way because there's no light, and then they act like a normal human being, which is not good. It's not good to be a normal human being. So it's unbelievably important. Um, Actually, one of the advantages of St. John, one of the best things that happens is the morning Eucharist, especially for the pastors, you know. At 7.40, I know every day, you know, at 7.40, I know it's going to happen. And you're all my check. If I get up and don't want to come, I got to come because you're going to show up. And, if, you, and if, if I don't show up, you'll be cranky at me. So, and I wouldn't want that. So, um, you know, it's actually good. But one of the great advantages of St. John is that you can come every day and say your prayers with other people. Uh, it's, a really, it's a really, really good thing. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that you will suffer um, if you do this. And sometimes... Um, of course, Jesus tells a story about people who believe and then it gets too hard and they wilt like the grass in the summertime. But he also says at the end of that story, there are people who will grow a lot, 30, 60, 100 fold. You'll become 100 times better than you used to be. 
Part of that happens through suffering. The vicar has talked to you about that. In fact, Luther said it's suffering that makes a pastor. It's suffering that makes a theologian. He doesn't just mean it for pastors. suffering that makes all of you what you are. Because what happens is, and I didn't believe this when I was younger, at least I, I didn't embrace it. I probably believed that I didn't embrace it. But the horrible things that happen to you in your life um, undercut your self-reliance so that um, you have to look outside yourself for an answer. So Luther often sounds a bit harsh. He says the first thing you do when you're sick is you should repent. It sounds a bit, bit harsh because I can tell you, if you go to the hospital and you know, you're sick and I say, really nice to see you, Miss Klukas. Could you repent now? You got a big one? <laughs> Some, what, you know, want to tell me about it? You know, <clears throat> I mean, it can, it, can be, it can sound like poor pastoral care, but the honest truth is when you're just leveled you know, with physical illness, with mental illness, with spiritual anxiety, with um, things you've done or things that have been done to you, when you're just leveled by that, Luther says the devil does, the devil does, does, um, the devil does God's work for him. So it's like, it's like Jesus takes a day off and lets the devil have a go at you. You can think of Job if you want. Jesus takes the day off and lets the devil do the convicting work, the hard work. Um, it's holy work in one sense because it does convict you of your sins and reminds you that you're not God. It's horribly unpleasant work uh, because, you know, God doesn't like to see you suffer. But if you can hold on through that and understand that, if you can let that, if you can let suffering have its way with you, okay, what would that mean? That would mean, it doesn't mean you don't get cured, it doesn't mean you don't go to the doctor, it doesn't mean you don't say your prayers. What it means is, if you can let suffering remind you that you're a point number two, if you can let suffering remind you that you can't make it on your own, if you can let suffering remind you that you're nothing but given to, that you only only grow and only live, actually, because Christ has been merciful to you, then you see um, your suffering takes on a whole new meaning. And your suffering is a chance to grow up. So I've um, given you this at the end. Suffering breaks us. Suffering prompts us to seek God's word. I mean, I know people who have been so troubled or even attacked by demons who don't really believe, who just simply say, Jesus, save me. You know, for the first time in their life, it comes out of them. And of course, Jesus does. Um, But sometimes, you know, we're pretty hard and sometimes we need to be broken. And sometimes... You can only be healed after you're broken. You can only be raised after you're dead. You can only be forgiven after you repent. And those first things, being broken, being convicted of your sins, you know, dying, those are all painful, painful things. But they're not the final word. So suffering and weakness allow us to experience the power and truth of God's word. Okay? So this paradox that trouble and adversity are the way that we get better. And sometimes in leaps and bounds. So... You know, obviously I'm not saying to you, be broken, sin, do horrible things so that you can get better. I mean, obviously I'm not saying that. What I'm saying to you is, and I've said this a hundred times to you, you don't have to look for evil. Evil is going to find you. I mean, there is, um, you know, your whole life is just this pushback. You push against the darkness, you get better. The darkness comes and overwhelms you. You push the darkness back again. And I've often said this to you, I guess, I, and I should say one more thing, which is, I've often said to you, you know, if you push against the darkness, the darkness will push back. 
I guess I should have always said to you, if you push against the darkness, the darkness will push back, and then you should push back again. You know? Because the darkness doesn't get to have the last word. But you, if you're not structured for that, if you're not obedient to that, if you don't listen to Jesus who says, you know, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I mean, when's he going to do that exactly? Have you, have you left any time in the day when he can give you some rest? I mean, he's saying to you, I love you, I want to be with you, I want to help you, I want to listen to you, I want to talk to you, I want to guide you, I want to bless you. And if you're always too busy for that, you know, he won't make you. So when I'm begging you for five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night, all I'm begging you for is the chance for Jesus to come to you and give you his gifts. I'm not, I'm not actually, you know, sometimes people hear this as, you know, be good and obey. I, no, here's the thing. It's no different than if you're coaching a football team and you say, we've got to have practice. Or, you know, if you're an accountant and they say, you know, we've got to audit the books. Or anything, you know, you have a job and you've got to bid it. It's the preparatory work for the good stuff to come. And if you don't, I just, you're so busy. You know, this is a driven community. You're accomplished people. You're busy. If you don't set some time aside um, simply to say the most important thing right now is reading the scriptures. If you don't do that, you'll wake up and you'll be 20 and you'll be 30 and you'll be 40 and you'll be 50 and you will have never done it. And if you're clever, you know this is exactly the same speech I've given you about prayer, about tithing, about coming to church, about loving other people and being merciful, about being a good witness. You know, if, you, if you don't spend some time on these things, you're going to wake up and you're going to be 70 and your life is finished and you never did the church a dang bit of good. And that's going to be a hard last day for you. You know, you'll be saved, but it'll just be by the skin of your teeth. And that's not what the church is meant to be. The church is always meant to be. The church is not bare minimum. The church is full blast. You are not bare minimum. You're full blast. But you need to give the Lord some chance to work on you. So you always come to church. You know, it's a non-negotiable. Why? Because this is where Jesus blesses you. You spend some time in the morning and the evening. Why? Because this is where Jesus guides you and talks to you and strengthens you and relieves your suffering and moves you to the next thing. Um, This is how Jesus helps you. So, you know, the last thing in this one, if you want to meditate well, love God. If you want to love God, go to the Eucharist. If you want to meditate well, pray. If you want to pray, go to the scriptures, go to the liturgy. If you want to meditate well, confess. If you want to confess well, go to your baptism. Okay, Christ is everywhere. Now, I'll give you this last bit, and there is time, um, even though I haven't... So this is, the one that says 4C, how do I begin to meditate, part 3. Um... I've told you all this, but I'll just give it to you in one place, okay? Luther, interestingly, is kind of non-directive. It's unfortunate that he's non-directive, because I think he was good at this. What he was rebelling against is that it was so directive when he went to the monastery. He would have been taught all of this stuff as a, as, as a novice. And entering the monastery, the first thing they do is see whether or not you can pray, whether or not you can keep the hours, whether or not you can keep the discipline. So he would have been taught all this. And, you know, the thing about Luther is, great guy, but sometimes he was a little too rebellious against things that could have been really good. He's a human being. I mean, he's righter than right on so many things, but not always on everything to the last ounce. I would have liked more direction. When I went to seminary, I would have loved more direction. You know, it's a shame that I have to be 50 years old and figure this out for myself. Um, you know, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be harmful for guys going to seminary to have everything that I've said to you be said to them. And it's not said, I'll just tell you. 
Everybody, as a pastor, everybody expects you to pray. They don't give you any instruction on praying. It's a great sadness because it's not that difficult, but it needs to be done. It's like everything else. You need to, you know, get down on a ground ball and, you know, um, follow through when you shoot a jump shot. And, you know, don't drop the ball before you cross the line in the end zone. Very quickly. I was going to say maybe that's where the Catholics maybe have a bang up with doing the rosary where it's already kind of spelled out very clearly. Did you look ahead to the next page where I said Luther has a rosary? No. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Karen, let me keep going, and then I'll get you, okay? So um, <laughs> fix a time and a space. So it doesn't give much direction, but he gives you this. Fix a time and a space. And if you have trouble fixing a time and a space at home, this is like some people can't work from home, then go to church. If Luther was feeling like he couldn't pay attention, often he'd just go sit in the back row when other people were having the Mass and say his prayers there. Because kind of the white noise, I'd love you, but I'm going to keep going because I want to, I'll promise I'll find you, but I need to get all the way through this or it's, Okay, so here's the thing. He would go someplace where there was the white noise of the liturgy around him and all the things like pictures and icons and candles that would help him. Uh, a sacred space would help him focus. Some people can't work at home. You know, some people have to go into the office. Okay, I get that. The next thing is no interruptions. Now, he's not being a hard guy about this, but if Jesus is really the most important thing, can you really say, you know, I can't say my prayers because my kid is playing on five travel teams? You know, you just, you know, at some point, four travel teams plus your prayers. Okay? <laughs> Flip the page. <clears throat> Kneel or stand, he would say, with folded hands. Actually, I find sitting, and sitting is kind of a classic posture for prayer as well. Often sitting with an icon in front of you, or an icon and a candle, or an icon and a candle and a scripture, or a cross, or holding a cross. Here's the thing. Your prayers are tactile. So find, find, I mean, so for me on Monday, actually, on Monday, my day off, actually, the first thing I do is, I, there's a chair I sit in, it's in the darkness, I sit and I listen to pray as you go. So it's me, not my crucifix, but me and my iPod, my, or my phone, actually, my iPhone. But here's the thing, you plug in and it's like 11 minutes of kind of nothing else but, you know, this voice, Okay. So it doesn't, there are different ways you can do it. You can experiment with different things. Everybody is different. Some of you are tactile. Some of you are visual. Some of you are, you know, verbal. Okay, figure out the thing and use that thing. You know, it doesn't have to. What we try to do, especially with kids, is teach them all the things, and then they can take their pick. You know, so some people like to kneel. Some people like to stand. Some people like to fold their hands. Some people like to sit with their hands in their lap. Some people have eyes open. Some people have eyes closed fantastic, please just do it. Just pick one and do it, okay? This is kind of nice. Duration depends on your mood and commitments. So I'm sure this happens to you. I have bad days. I have days when I'm so pressed or I'm so agitated or restless that I just can't spend 20 or 30 minutes. I just can't. I will come out of my skin. Um, Now, if that's every day, then I have to go figure out why that is. But, you know, occasionally, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to have, you're going to have different days. You're going to have days when you can sit for an hour. There's going to be a days where you can't sit for three minutes. You can kind of observe that in yourself. The interesting thing is Luther doesn't sort of wag his finger at you and say, if you can't do it 15 minutes, you're a very, very bad person. He doesn't say that. So it, the duration depends on your mood and your commitment. Now, here's the thing. You can alter your mood. For some people, it's music. I mean, let's just take the music this morning. You felt better 
after the service than before. Why? Part of it was the music. You feel, feel better after you smell the incense than before you smell it. You feel better after you see a candle than before. You feel better after you kneel than you do. You know you can, it's this, well, it goes way back to William James and inner outer theory and all this kind of stuff. You can make your, you can change what's inside you by happening what's outside you. Don't believe me? Go for a massage this afternoon. Then call me and tell me how you're feeling. You're going to feel better inside and outside. Why? Because, you know, things can change, okay? Seven, um, Luther would basically say, you can use the catechism for this. You can kind of read this and figure it out yourself. But Luther would say, um, you think about, you say the creed, you say the catechism, you say the, I'm sorry, you say the creed, you say the Ten Commandments, you say the Our Father, and he'll basically say, that'll kind of prime the pump. That'll get you going. And... Um, Look at point eight. This is the rosary comment. I think, this is Luther, I think of each commandment as first instruction. So, don't have any other gods. Okay, God's telling me this is the way it is. Uh, and then, and consider what the Lord's demands of me. Second, I turn it into thanksgiving. I'm really glad that God has told me that he's my God, because otherwise I would have thought I'm his God. Third is confession. Hmm, there's sometimes I like to be God. And fourth, the prayer. You be God. I don't want to be God. I'm a bad God, you're a good God. Could you please be a good God for me? And so you notice that goes law, gospel, law, gospel, or it also goes textbook, song book, penitential book, prayer book. And you can, what, what can happen then is you can read um, any of the commandments that way or any text that way. I'll just give you the last thing under nine. This is the last thing, and then I've got to go and uh, confess that I didn't make it through. So... Um, Look at, the, look at the first thing. When you open the book containing the Gospels and read or hear how Christ comes to here or there. So you read the story of Jesus coming to Zacchaeus, okay? And you hear how someone is brought to him, the man on the pallet, and they drop him through the roof. You should therein perceive the sermon or Gospel through him which he's coming to you. You're Zacchaeus. You're the person on the pallet who needs to be dropped through the roof. And you are being brought to him, passive verb. That, a passive verb is a clue that it's right. When you see how he works, however, and how he helps everyone to whom he comes or who's brought to him, then rest assured that faith is accomplishing this in you. So Jesus comes to Zacchaeus and Jesus comes to you. Jesus heals the man on the pallet and Jesus heals you. Jesus loves them. Jesus loves you. If you, this is the next paragraph, if you pause and let him do you good, let him do you good. That's what he wants to do. He wants to do good to you. He wants to be your God. He doesn't want to hate you. He wants to love you. He wants you to have him. It's Christmas. He wants you to hold him in your arms and care for him. He wants to do you good, you see. If you believe that he benefits and helps you, then you really have it. Then Christ is yours, presented to you as a gift. So that's all I can do. Have a look at the rest of it. Um, I don't know. Someday we might talk about that. But next week, let's talk about Israel. If I can just give you then your homework from now until when we come back again in January. A few minutes in the morning, a few minutes in the night. I'd rather have you actually do maybe a few minutes morning and night than half an hour in the morning and nothing at night. A few minutes in the morning, a few minutes at night. All I want you to do is calm yourself, set a time, and then Fill the space gently. You don't have to cram it from end to end. 
it can be enough to say the Our Father. In fact, he talks about how the Our Father, he says, you know, this is like the liturgy too. I've said this to you a hundred times. You say the Our Father and you start to think about what that means and what it means to have a father, what it means to be a child and how good Jesus is with children and how you pray for your own children and you remember your own parents and one of your parents was great and you thank God for that and one of your parents was horrible and you ask that you not hate them and you forgive them and bless them because that's the way. And suddenly you're, all your time's up and you never got past the Our Father. That's fine. That's how it was in the early church too. They didn't used to have the petitions, Lord in your mercy, hear our prayer. There was a strong tradition of the church where they'd say, Our Father who art in heaven, and they would stop and jam in all the petitions of the church that were about Our Father who art in heaven. That's how they prayed. They used the, the, the Our Father as a structure. So he's recalling here a thing that's 1,400 or 1,500 years old when he does this. It's very In the same way, if you come to church and somehow you lose track of us right at the point where he says, you know, forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's all you think about for the next 50 minutes, that's completely fine. As long as you're not thinking about the Bears going 8-8 eight and eight and missing the playoffs. <laughs> that's not fine, okay? So spend some time with it from now, and it'll be mid-January before we get back to talking about this. See what change it makes in your life. A few minutes in the morning, a few minutes at night, Use an icon, use a scripture, use your catechism, use the Lord's Prayer, use the Ten Commandments, use Pray As You Go, something to fill a few of those minutes where Christ is present as the object of your devotion. Christ is the thing you're orbiting around. You're looking at Christ, and that'll change your life. Okay? Gotta go. Anybody who's serving in the next service, as soon as we pray, okay? Because we're late. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you.